Good stuff. All right. This morning, something that God's been dealing with me for a little while now, we're going to be dealing with do not forget the benefits of the Lord. Or as the scripture says, forget not his benefits from Psalm 103. So if you want to go ahead and head on that way, we'll get there here in just a little while in dealing with the blessings that God has given us. And something that I do believe that we often either do not acknowledge or we take for granted is all that the Lord really does do for us. The fact that God is there. So many times, it, I guess in the world, I look at human beings, I see how we go through life. It doesn't matter, Christian or non-Christian. We participate in the blessings of God by the mere existence of being in this created world. When you look around at the world and you see the beauty that God has made, everything that is around us, the splendor that you see, it is hard for me. And seeing his creation, the animals, and even looking at you and me, as difficult as that may sound, looking even at one another and seeing what human beings can do if they choose to, there's no doubt in my mind, this, it, it boggles my mind that people would even begin to question that there is a God. You know, I understand why the scripture says, and, and you have to understand, to use the word fool. It's very, very serious in Scripture. Jesus even says, be very careful using that term because if using that to condemn another person, Jesus talks about being in danger of hell fire. You know, that to condemn another person. But let me say this. God himself says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why would he make such a statement? Why would he say that? Because it is obvious. There's breath in your chest. I'll give you something. Here you go. Why is there something and not nothing? Without God, nothing would exist. But what does exist absolutely screams the majesty of God. People also look around the world and say, well, pastor, there's much evil in the world. Yes, we have brought a whole lot of evil into the world, but that's not the way it was created. God created all and he said, behold, it is good. It's all good. But I tell you what, I think over my life and I think about worshiping God and honoring God and trying to be sincere in that worship, not just giving God lip service, not just saying some things or not, or Lord bless your name, and then just going about my business or about my day, but actually taking time to acknowledge and to love God and to realize that what I'm saying is not just something that sounds good, but a reality, that God is merciful that God is gracious, that God is there, that he never leaves us, that he never forsakes us. He is always with us. It doesn't matter the fiery trial that you're going through. It doesn't matter if Satan has tried to wipe every single inkling of God away from you to where you feel like you're in the dark, darkest, deepest pit that you can possibly imagine. Behold, my friends, God is still there. David said, if he made his bed in hell or in the grave, behold, you are there. You cannot get away from God. There were a few times in my life I had to wax theological on the enemy, though. Just bear with me here. Not a lot of wisdom in this body, but every once in a while I get something right. But I remember, you know, a lot of people, there was a book written called The Dark Night of the Soul, but um, I can reflect and also see in my own life where I've had difficulties in my prayer time. You know, you're seeking the face of God, and you know those times where it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You don't understand. You feel so alone, and you're wondering, God, where are you? You know, I, I need to feel you. I want to know that you're there. God, grace and strength. You know, I'm praying for that. And then one time, it dawned on me. And that's a rarity that things happen to dawn on me. But when they do dawn, I, I'm, I'm glad for those moments. It dawned on me in my prayer time, and I think it was God's grace reaching through. He said, you do realize that I'm omniscient, right? Yeah. 
yeah, that means, God, you know everything. So regardless, if you speak, I know it, period. And I stopped back for a minute, and I said, you know what? That's a good point, Lord. That's a good point. So I began to pray, and my prayer life changed. I said, devil, I don't care how dark you make it. God still hears me. God's still there. It does not matter. And so I started praising anyway. I started telling God how wonderful he was, how much I loved him and I needed him. And I also point out, God, that I'm not too good of a person myself, but you know what? You're better than I am, and your grace is better than any problem I've ever had. So I start praising and going through it, and eventually I started feeling God's presence. Because I wasn't just speaking words into the air, I was enjoying the reality of my salvation, one of the benefits of my salvation. That is that God is with me and that God lives in me. It's just the truth. He's there. If you are a Christian, God lives in you. You cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. The Bible calls it the earnest of the Spirit. That is, God has put into you a promise, a promise of the fullness of your salvation. In other words, he that has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You didn't just say some words a long time ago. When you truly opened your heart up to Jesus Christ, he came to live in you. When you repented of your sins, he washed those sins away. By his blood, you are made a new creation, and God now comes to set up residence in you. Something that until the new covenant wasn't fully understood or received. Yes, the Spirit would come upon people. Yes, he would anoint people for purposes, whether they be prophets, priests, kings, what have you, or an individual. The Holy Spirit may come upon you for a season, but the new covenant in Christ Jesus, God says there is a new covenant that I will make with them in that day. Not like the covenant made on the mountain with holy fire. He said, but this is the covenant that I will make with my people. I am going to write my laws on the fleshly tablets of their hearts. That is You will know me truly, and I will live in you. As Christ speaks to the Father and says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And Jesus later on in John would say, and I am in you, and you are in me. That intimacy with God. But what does that bring about? Whenever we have this intimacy with God, what does that mean for you and me? What are the benefits? I guess you would say. Not that I'm looking at God saying, okay, God, what's the benefit I'm going to get out of it? No. I'm saying, what are the blessings? Those wonderful things that come out of this. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing that troubles me before we we step into this. I see most, let me take that back, I would see a lot of people, not most, but I see a lot of people that whenever it comes to the Lord, They look at God in a way that they should not. They look at God and they want to know, Lord, why am I not receiving a particular blessing? Or God, why is my life not just absolutely rosy and pink all the day long, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? In other words, God gets blamed for everything and God gets praised for nothing. Let me say that again. God often gets blamed for everything, but he doesn't get credit for everything that he does do. For instance, there are people that will look at their lives and they'll say, well, why don't I have what another person has? That's called coveting, but let's move on. Or why is my life not like this? Why am I not able to do what another person does? Or why uh, am I going through this struggle in my life? Or why has my family... Let's say a loved one had cancer. They, they, they died at an early age and all those things. And we want to look up at God and say, well, God, you can't be real. Or God, you can't be loving because tragedy has struck. But now let me ask you something. On the flip side of that, we'll come back and address that in just a minute. But on the flip side of that, how much blessing does God get for the good things that are in your life? 
Whenever God heals someone in your life or he spares you a certain tragedy in your life, or let's say that someone in your life is really blessed or they accomplish something that, that they've been wanting to do for years and years and years, or just whatever good fortune you might find in your life, you fill in the blank with whatever you want to, but good things happen and nobody wants to say, Lord, thank you, that's wonderful, you have blessed me, you have watched over me. No, what ends up happening many times is that we will look at God and say, God, you, you allowed this to happen or you allowed, created me this way and God, my life is not good because of A, B, C, and D, but any good thing that comes out of it, we did it. We did it ourselves. Well, you want to know something? You know why I got that promotion? It was all because of me. You know why uh, my, my family member, you know, was cured of that particular disease? It's because the doctors are awfully good at that hospital. You want to know why that person has joy or I have joy in my life or those things that were going on? It's because of all the stuff I have. What I am saying, saints, is that is so skewed. The Bible says that life itself is a gift from God. And all that we might accomplish, as a matter of fact, God speaking to the Israelites, most of us tend to find our joy in our stuff, in our uh, wealth, our monies, things like that. That's what we look to for our comfort and for our safety. And the Bible says it is the Lord that gives us the ability to gain wealth. If we only knew the tragedies that God has spared us in our lives, if we only knew the times that God reached out his hands into our families to stop tragedy, to heal, to help, to do what only God could do, people, we would be amazed to see those things. Very rarely, but occasionally, God will show us what he has done in our lives. You know, I often think about the book of Job, you know, and when you talk about suffering, that's the go-to book for you. You know, you, you, you think of somebody who has suffered horribly, and it seems unmercifully, and, it, and also, also you look at it and you say, well, it was undeservedly, except for the plan of God that might be there. And the fact is, is in all that Job suffered, whenever God finally reveals himself, whenever he steps back from behind the veil, his question to Job is that he knows about this much of what's really going on. About that much. Where were you, Job, when I created all things? Where were you when I took the plotting line and I laid out the size of the earth? Where were you when I commanded the seas? This far you can come and no further, and this is where your proud waves must stop. And he talks about the stars in the sky. He talks about calling them by name. And then he talks about people, but he talks about the animals too and them giving birth and how he is there even when the animals give birth and all the things that might be said about God. Whenever Job finally finally has an opportunity to respond, or rather God makes him respond, Job looks at him and he says, God, I had no idea. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. There are things, God, that are too wonderful for me to understand. In other words, God, you are more wonderful, more better than anything I could have understood. I mean, I look at the apostles, I see the tragedies that happened to them in life. And Paul would even say, I believe that God has displayed us apostles as those who are last, men condemned to death. He talked about the sufferings that they felt in life, the rejections they felt in life, the times that they were beaten, the times that they were thrown into prison. And you would think as apostles, as people who were carrying the message of Jesus Christ, these would be the ones that would fare most sumptuously in life. But nay, nay. Look at Jesus Christ himself. You see him as he walked the earth and as he loved people. Think about it. The mission to love, to teach that people might know God. 
that they might be instructed in righteousness and holiness and then ultimately was going to be abused, tortured, and then going to be killed. And Jesus said, if they have called me the master of the house, Satan, how much more will they say about you? Do not look for your comfort and your blessing from the world. It's not going to do it. But I will tell you this, with all the pains and with all the struggles that life will throw at you, and it will, no one is immune. No one is immune to it, saint or sinner. Difficulty and tragedy at some point is going to hit your life. We live in a fallen world and we have a fallen body. Albeit in Jesus Christ, the inner man is being renewed every day. But this outward body is perishing. But what I'm saying is that the world is foreign and the pains and the struggles and the hardships that we feel in life are felt by everyone. And also, saints, understand this. At least in Jesus Christ, there is one who is there with you. There is one who bears you. There is one who carries you. There is one who helps you in those times of need. So let's go ahead and take a look at this scripture. Psalm 103, God bless the reading of his word. You will know this scripture. You'll recognize it from the hymns that we sing. But the word of God says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That's worship, okay? Bless the Lord, O my soul, everything that's within me. Bless the Lord's name. Worship him. Exalt him. And then it says in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, let me ask you something. If you have spent any time in the book of Psalms, you know that there are psalms that talk about tragedy. Right? You understand that there are times that David himself, even as this psalm is a psalm of David, you know that there were times that David was broken, that he was hurt, that he was in battle. There were times that he looked up at God and he said, God, I don't understand. Why is this going on? Because as a human creature, we don't see what God sees. And that is a normal response. To say to God, I don't see, I don't understand. Help me. But yet you will see in another scripture. You know, I remember David, how he talks about how he looks out there and he sees how the wicked are blessed and the righteous seem to suffer. And you got this group faring sumptuously and you have these other people. It just seems like it's going, they're going to dust. And he's just about at his wits end. He said, but then, but then, he said, I went into the house of the Lord. And then I saw that is to be in the presence of God. I knew the end of the wicked. I know what my end is, and I know what the end is of the wicked. God is for me. He's not against me. He will bless me. He will take care of me. He will watch over me. You know what I'm ready for? I I need need a break for a minute. You know what I'm ready for? And I'm being sincere about this. Everybody wants to know where the power of God, where the miracle-working power of God is. I'm going to tell you where it is. It's right in this room right now, okay? Just listen to it. It's right now. And it's moving on the hearts of people. But the thing that shuts down the move and the power of God is guess who? We shut it down. We shut it down. God will start moving on you. He's about to bless your socks off. He's about to take shackles off of you that have been on you for years. He's ready to remove burdens. He's ready to open blinded eyes. He is ready to open up your soul. And what we do is we get right there to the point that God's getting ready to do something. And we'll say, we step back. Because if I really let go, And love God, you say, well, are you saying, Pastor, people have to be in the church and act like a lunatic and this, that, and the other? Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's no such thing as a lunatic for Jesus. Okay, let me prove it to you. Think in your mind of the holiest person in this church. Just think of it. Think of somebody that if the Holy Ghost touched them, I mean, he wouldn't be able to move them at all. I mean... They're going to be just as straight and stiff as they could possibly be. All right, let's say that person has cancer. Or let's say that person is, oh, I got a good one for you. They're missing a leg. 
And they're sitting there, and let's say for years and years and years, they have not walked. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the service, they look down, and they got a leg. They felt the power of God zap them. You say, Pastor, you're kidding. God does it say it? All right, then. God doesn't change. All right. So they grow another leg on there. Now, you're telling me when your leg gets on your body that you're going to sit there and go, oh, bless God. Mm, mm, mm. That was a blessing, Pastor. Have a nice day. No, that is not what you're going to do. Somebody's going to turn around and say, Sister such and such lost her mind today. What happened? Well, God put a leg back on her body. Yeah, I'd be cutting cartwheels and everything. And if you looked at me and said, you need to calm down, or you're going to have to change membership in the church, I'd say, bye. <laughs> it's kind of like the man who was begging at the temple whenever uh, Peter and John come up. Whenever he's healed, what does he do? He's leaping and cleaving to him. He won't let him go. He's having a fit because Jesus did something in his life. And when God does something in your life, don't you be quiet about it. I'm not saying that you've got to scream, yell, or do stuff like that. That's not what I'm getting at. I mean, I understand that's humorous and we can talk about it, although I do believe you would. But on the flip side of that, saints, when you feel him moving in your heart and you see him getting ready to heal and to do things in your heart that you've been needing for years, and he's right there, and we will quench that spirit. We'll quench it. We'll push it down. We'll push it down. We don't want, you know, God to, to, to have full control. We got to be in control. We got, we got to have that control. And then, you know, God, you can, you know, as long as I'm still in control of everything, you know, Lord God, you can bless all around me. Did you catch that? You can bless all around me, just don't bless me. You find you somebody who's so steeped in sin, so broken, so eat up with the devil that they don't feel like they have hope, they don't feel like they belong, they don't even want to come into church anymore because when they walk in the doors of the church, they absolutely feel filthy because in their hearts and minds they know what they have done and who they are and they are convinced in their heart that there is absolutely no way that God can love them, that God wants anything to do with them. And guess what happens? They come into this church, and guess who's been chasing them for years? And God comes right up to that person, and he begins to love them. He wraps his arms of love around them. He begins speaking to them of who they are to him, that he loved them, that he died for them. And it's time for them to let go of that sin. It's time for them to shake it out of their lives. It's time for that garbage to be gone. You don't need to be in bondage to sin anymore. You don't have to yield to those devils. You don't have to be in that garbage. I love you. I'll heal you and I'll set you free. I'll make you new. I'll make you brand spanking new. My blood will cover all that sin and wash it away. How would you like to be holy? I didn't even think that was possible. Oh, I get you there. That's what Jesus is telling them. And he comes over there and he loves them. And the next thing you know, you see those tears start streaming down that face. Next thing they know, they start to snorting and squalling. That's good stuff, trust me. But they start to squalling and going at it. And the next thing you know, you've got somebody that loves Jesus so much. You know why? Because they've been forgiven much. And like Jesus said, those that are forgiven little love little. But those who realize the weight of their sin love much and they're broken. And whenever they feel Jesus wrap their arms around them, oh my goodness. They've never felt anything like it. And you want to know something else? They're not afraid to go and tell somebody about it either. But anyway, let me continue on. So it says, do not forget his benefits. And forget not all of his benefits. Well, the benefits of salvation. You know, number one, people to be forgiven to be forgiven to be loved to feel that grace 
every human being on the face of the earth unless sin has warped them to where they are incapable of understanding. And demons can do that. But listen to me. If, unless they've come that far, everybody wants to be loved. Every human being comes into this world wanting to be loved. Maybe because of our wickedness and maybe because of our cruelty, we might try to chisel that out of a human heart and life. But children, all children want to be loved. And I've got news for you, every adult does too. And we want it. And whenever we recognize that God loves us. You ever thought about God's love, how precious and wonderful God's love is? Listen to me for a minute. Most of the time, now I'm not saying that some saints in here haven't overcome this, but let me tell you that most times in human heart and life, there is conditional love in the human heart. So long as certain parameters are met, we love, we give grace. There's an expectation. Just the human People say, well, I love my children unconditionally. Yeah, you want to pinch their heads off unconditionally too sometimes. You say, Shane, you're being cute. No, that's being real. How would you like to be loved by somebody who doesn't expect you? I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Someone who loves you unconditionally. Somebody who thinks you're precious not because of what you can do for them, but because of who you are. Somebody who wants you because of who you are. There's no attachment there, nothing that you necessarily have to perform, although God wants us to love him and serve him, yes. But what I'm saying is that love is given unconditionally. Now, people, you might say, well, isn't in salvation repentance and faith? Absolutely, you're right. But what I'm saying is that God's love, that what sent Christ, wasn't because you had done something. It was because God loved you and loves you. And people, that benefit only continues to grow. Once you are his, once you've repented of your sins, once you turn to him, the Bible says, you know, God, if he did not even spare his own son... How will he not freely give us all things by him? So you think about these, the benefits. Now look at this, verse 3, who forgives all of your iniquities. I could immediately say to you, how many of you remember what it was like to be bound in sin? Some of you walked with God so long you forgot about that. You forgot about the fact that uh, what it was like not to be free, what it was... What it was like to, to, to go home, to be in your life, to look in a mirror and just be absolutely disgusted with what you see and what you've done in your life and to feel hopeless and not feel loved. Some of us have forgotten that. But it says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your, your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In other words, like they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The idea is that he renews your strength so that you can soar. Now, I could go right now, we could go back through Scripture from page to page, and we could look at how God heals, how God delivers the things that he has done. I think one of the most beautiful examples, and yes, we have talked about this, but one of the most beautiful examples from Scripture has to do with Jesus whenever he goes to Simon's house. Simon the Pharisee. And you remember Jesus is reclined there. The woman comes up behind him. The woman begins to weep because she is a sinner. She's a sinner. Now, the way the language is and what is being said about her most scholars would say, though it does not say in the Scripture, most scholars would say that she was a prostitute. And I know that we talk about prostitutes a lot uh, in some of the sermons that we talk about, and I know that I give this caveat, and I try to help people understand. Though there were some people that served in temple prostitution in different places, 
in uh, Jewish culture, understand many times a woman that did not have a man or a son to carry on the family line, they, they were at the mercy of the world. They either begged and some of them even turned to prost- prostitution because they're trying to survive. So don't just look at these people and spit on the ground and say they're wicked and evil. Understand some of these people were trying to feed a family. They were trying to live and survive. Because other people had taken what they had. Not trying to pay a pretty bow on it, but at the same time, it was a reality for that culture. But you think about this woman. She comes from behind Jesus. Yes, she's a sinner. But in that culture, most people would have said, Jesus, because you are a holy, righteous rabbi, because we have seen the miracles that you've done, because we believe that you are this holy man who knows God, because after all, no one could do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. Jesus, why would you give this woman the time of day? She's behind you. She's weeping on your feet. And she is cleansing your feet with the hair on her head. How dare her touch your feet? How dare you, Jesus, allow a sinner to touch you? People, that is a wonderful commentary on the world. We don't like to necessarily deal in those categories and to those extremes, but in there somewhere you can find society. Here are people that are bound in sin. Here are people that society has rejected. They don't want them. These people are what you might call social lepers, spiritual lepers. They might not have leprosy on their skin, but at the same time, that's how they're treated. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here making excuse for sin. Sin is wrong. Sin is against God. Sin will send people to hell. That's the reality. So don't think I'm candy-coated. But I am telling you the reality of the human condition. Society wants to cast away. Society doesn't want to love and to gather in. Society wants to fit in rather than to be obedient to God. And many people get pushed to the side. Many people are forced away because they are seen as unworthy or they don't make the cut for whatever the situation may be. And I'm going to tell you something that's really going to sting and going to hurt now. Most of the time whenever it comes to sin and it comes to the church, and I'm not saying that we condone sin by any stretch of the imagination, but I am telling you this, that many times within the church somebody sins and we're done with it. Don't want nothing else to do with it. They had a social, or let's just say they had a shortcoming in their life. And now we're done. Now we don't go back and look at how many times we did that. We don't go back and look at it how many times our family's done that. Or we don't look at the sins that we committed and we should have been busted for it, but we didn't get busted for it, so now we can stand in the church and pretend to be holy. Like we didn't have any problems. We don't for a second realize that if it was not for the grace of God, there goes me. So here's this woman that is weeping, and we, like society, we want to cast her away. We don't want anything to do with it. And then we look down upon Jesus because Jesus would receive her, because Jesus allowed her to do this. And do you know what Jesus did? And I think this is beautiful because this speaks to the heart of our condition. See, this is being offended at the benefits of God. Think about it. We are offended at the grace and the goodness of God. So what happens is Jesus turns around and looks at the woman. And there's Simon over there who's despising Jesus in his heart. And Jesus says this, Simon, I have something I need to talk to you about. And he says, go ahead, Rabbi, speak on. He said, you know, Simon, when I came to your house, and I know we've shared this before, but work with me. Simon, when I came to your house, isn't it customary that you would give me some water for my feet to wash them off? Because it was. And he says, Simon, you didn't do that. He said, and yet this woman hasn't stopped washing my feet with her tears and dry them with her head. And Simon, isn't it customary whenever I come into your house out of respect and goodness and goodwill that you would kiss me on the cheek? You didn't do that, Simon. You didn't have any respect for me. And yet this woman has been kissing my feet since the time that she walked in. 
And Simon, I need to tell you something. This woman, catch the words, whose sins are many. He didn't candy coat it. This woman whose sins are many. They're forgiven. Simon, did you catch that? Her sins are forgiven. I'm forgiving her sins right now. Now, at that time, everybody gasped. Who are you that you can forgive sins? Well, I, I don't know if you called it on my card, but I am the Son of God. And as the Son of the living God, I am going to give my life for the sins of the world. I will spill my blood for her sins. So, yes, I have that prerogative. I forgive her sins. The God who forgives all of our iniquities. That's who God is. God does that. He forgives us. He washes us clean. God is there. Saints, that is the benefit. Forgiveness. Salvation. What about peace? What about hope? What about grace? People, grace is the biggie. I look at people, and, and, and I'm not saying this because I'm a prophet. I'm non-profit. Look at my bank account. You'll get that in a minute. But this is the truth. I look at my life. I look at, at being a Christian. I look at this woman's life. We are so skewed in our view of what God's grace really is and to whom God will give that grace. We have in our minds how God is supposed to act and what God's supposed to do and how, you know, to whom God will show his mercy. And the fact is, is that God, you cannot chain, chain him, you cannot put him in a box. God is boundless. And God's love is unleashed on each and every one of you. God wants you. He cares about you. He wants to see your life transformed and changed, and he wants to see you saved. But once again, like we said at the beginning, the only thing that stands between you and God's blessing is you. You and me. Anyway, let me keep going. Verse 6, it says, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You know, I've got to be careful because of the time, but let me, let me say this. Throughout the New Testament as well as the Old, one of the things that God calls upon people to do, it's one of those things that is so dear to the heart of God, and people miss it, to be a champion for those people who would be used, abused, orphans, widows, those that don't have a lot in life, we're the ones that are supposed to be protecting them. We're the ones that are supposed to be jumping up and say, oh, no, 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 you're not using and abusing that person. Oh, no, 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 you're not going to snatch that from somebody. It's not happening that way. We're supposed to work justice for those people and to listen to what they're saying and to make sure that they're taken care of. What is pure and undefiled religion before the Lord God taking care of those orphans and widows? I mean, you think about it. But anyway, it would take too long to go through all that. He made known, verse 7, God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. They've seen his miracles. In other words, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Now, here's where I was going a moment ago. I just need to get here. Grace. Grace. That is the one thing that God has promised to all is grace. Now let me explain that to you. God may step in at times in a miraculous way in your face and I mean move mountains so that nobody but nobody can say, you know, that's not the Lord. They will look at it and say, that is God. They will know that that is God. God will do that sometimes. But you want to know more times than not. You know, one of the things that I'm very careful with, and I think the pastors need to be careful of, is they will stand up and look at you and say, well, God did it for this person, so he's got to do it for you. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Whoa, camel. Be very careful. 
God can do for anyone in any situation. Greater than he's done for anybody else, he can do it. And the fact that he has done it for one shows you that his mercy is willing to do it for whoever. But at the same time, what God has done for one may not be good for the other. Remember, we do not see what God sees. And what may be well received by one may short circuit what God desires to do in the life of another. Maybe God has a greater blessing for you. Maybe he needs you to walk by faith. One of the two. But I will tell you this, I'm very careful by standing up and telling people God will do it and he will do it this way. I'm not God. But I can tell you one thing that God will do. In every situation, no matter what, this is the only one that I'll say this in, that he'll do for you, you being his children who call upon his name, he will always give grace. He'll give you grace. He'll help you. He'll help you in some way. He'll make sure that he takes care of you. It might not be the way you want. It may not be the way you think it should happen. But he will give you grace. And I'll prove that with Paul. Paul cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, three times he said, take this thorn out of my flesh. I don't want it anymore. And God basically said to him, no, my grace is sufficient for you. His power is perfected in our weakness. In other words, you may not get what you want, but you'll always get grace. All right. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us. Now, people, this is powerful too. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who Fear him. And I'll pause there. God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. What has God done? God has shown us mercy. He has shown us mercy. And God wants us... There's two things here that God wants, I believe. God wants us to realize his mercy and his goodness to us that rather than punishing us, rather than us going to hell, which we deserve because of Jesus Christ, because of us coming to him and and receiving him, turning to him in faith, putting our trust in him, repenting of our sins, becoming that new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit, because of that we have not received what we deserved. The fact is what we deserved was placed on him, right? So he was judged in our place. But here's another thing. How many of us lay hold of that? How many of us truly lay hold of that truth? How many of us lay hold of the Lord and Savior who is promised to be there for us? How many of us understand that the God who has saved us, the God who gives ear to our prayer, how many of us lay hold of the fact that God is listening, that God wants to hear from us? How many of us lay hold of the truth and the reality that if we would pray things that we know are of his heart, that is his will, that we have our petitions that God has already answered yes to, How many of us, because we look around at our culture and we see how sin has ravished the world around us, us, that is, and we know that revival can come, how many of us lay hold of the truth that if we will pray, God will answer? Did you know that if we would pray, God would stretch out his hand? Get ready, because I'm going to tell you... Easter's right around the corner, the highest of holy days. And we're going to have preparations for Pentecost. We're going to go out there and reap a harvest. You watch. It's going to happen. Because we're going to ask God for it. Saints, it is so easy. It is so easy as human beings. It is so easy even as Christians to accept and and just say, okay, God has blessed me. And then we go through our lives walking in those blessings and we forget. We forget to honor the very God 
that gave us those blessings. We forget to lay hold of him and to say to him, thank you, Lord. Thank you for these benefits. Thank you that I am saved. Thank you, Lord, that if tomorrow I am informed that my life will be ending in a week, even as devastated as I might be, thank you, Lord, that life doesn't end when I close my eyes upon the earth, but that my eyes will immediately open in eternity and I will be with you. And then death, sickness, sorrow, pain, it all will never touch me again. Today, as the musicians are coming, I got to stop. I got through about a half of it. Saints today, I want you to leave this place. I want you even now and as you leave this place, recognizing the benefits of the Lord that he has poured into your life. Not just, you know, hey, we're at church. We honor God. We talk to God while we're here. That's what we're supposed to do, and maybe on Wednesdays. But I want you to walk out of these doors embracing that reality that God is with you that God has forgiven you, that you now are alive in him, and that his Holy Spirit is now living inside of you, changing you from glory to glory. The good work that God began in you at salvation, he is faithful to complete it. Do not forget what God has done for you, and rejoice in living those benefits. Today, if God is dealing with your heart and you say, Pastor, I need some special prayer in just a moment as they are singing, step out from where you are. You come right down front here, stand in front of me. I'll be happy to pray with you. If I'm praying with somebody else, there'll be other people to pray with you. Maybe you say, Pastor, I need to pray, but I need some time by myself, just me and Jesus. Hey, there's room over here all the way down to the, to the wall on either side. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you feel God dealing with you and you just want to spend some time with him, come. Stand, kneel. You can sit on the front row if your knees won't allow you to. Second thing is this, is how are you in Jesus? Don't walk out of here without having Jesus in your heart and having made peace with him. Why? What reason would there be there? Make sure before you walk out these doors that you and Jesus are in love. That you and Jesus are walking hand in hand. Please respond as God speaks to you. If everyone would please stand. Just as I If I could have uh, some of the deacons come forward real quick, we're going to pray. Miss um, Gail has come down, and she says she wants to stand in. We've got a group 
believe Mr. Phil Whitaker that's going to be going over, you said, to Hungary. And we're going to be praying for this team as they go, believing for God's grace and help and touch. So we'll let everybody, y'all can come on, sneak in, I'll get out your way. Y'all are more important than me. All right, my sister. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we anoint you, my sister, and even as you stand in for this team, we believe. Father, we ask you, as many have been called and many go, Father, we pray for them all as we reach out to that part of the world. Father, there's a lot of destruction, pain, so many things that are going on right now. And Father, we can't even begin to understand it. But God, you do. Father, what you have purposed in your heart is that we as your church be just that, the church. Touch, Lord. Move in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray your anointing upon Phil and this team that are going and upon all that are there. Anoint them with your Holy Spirit and with power. And we pray, Father, as a minister, as they work, that the glory of the Lord Jesus will be shown round about them and that all will see that the Lord has come, that the Lord is touching, and that the Lord is working. Father, we ask you to move mountains. We ask you, God, to take away anything that would stand in their way. Father, may they prosper. As your word goes out and you said it will not return void, Father, may they go bearing your word, and may they prosper in the thing for which you have sent them. Bless them in Jesus' name and their efforts. Amen, amen. and amen. All right, saints, uh, we'll finish up. And everybody remember, we got Garrett back here in the left corner. He'll be over there dancing for you with his hands doing calisthenics, so you'll be able to find him. But let's pray as you leave. Father, your blessings upon your people. Watch and keep us. Father, may we be not only obedient to you, but Father, may you display your glory through us. In Jesus' name, may we never forget your benefits. Amen. And amen. Go with God.